In the book of Galatians, we've seen very clearly uh, that the theme is our liberty in Christ, with the theme verse being uh, in Galatians 5 and verse 1, where it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And in the context, the purpose for Paul writing the book of Galatians, he is writing to these Galatian believers, to these churches at Galatia, in order to defend the gospel of grace because false teachers had come in, these Judaizers, and they were adding works to grace as a requirement for salvation. Most specifically, uh, they were basically telling the Gentiles that you know you had to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. Uh, so much so that they required them to live by the Old Testament law even to the point of the adult men having to be circumcised and cannot even be saved without that. And as I've said every week, and I will continue to reiterate because this is the central application for us today, is that you better be very careful of those people and groups out there that would say, well, yeah, Jesus is the only way to heaven, but we're the only way to Jesus. Our church, our priesthood, our bishops, our sacraments, yeah, Jesus is the only way to heaven, but the only way to Jesus is through us. That is the occult 101, and that is exactly what these Judaizers were doing, and that is exactly what Paul was writing to confront. That's why he's so passionate about it. Galatians is the only letter that Paul wrote to the churches where he didn't even give them an opening salutation. He had business to get to, and that was to defend uh, the gospel of grace. Now, Paul begins the book of Galatians in the first five verses by defending the true gospel. And that is salvation by grace through faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. Just like we sang about this morning, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Uh, He goes on to defend his apostleship because these Judaizers um, had actually degraded him. Well, you know, Paul didn't even, he didn't even walk with the other apostles. He didn't walk directly with Christ. You, You don't have to believe him. So see, they were already questioning the authority and the cults still do that today. Well, you can't trust the writings of the apostles. Listen to us. Listen to our prophets and our teachers. Uh, Listen, the the writings of the prophets and the apostles are still our authority today. Genesis to Revelation, the inspired uh, Word of God. Now, uh, last week, we looked specifically at the doctrine of justification, uh, which comes by faith in Christ alone. The word justification means to be declared legally righteous before God. In fact, when a person is saved, Christ's righteousness is imputed to them. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ today, which is why I'm going to heaven. It's why I'm guaranteed that I cannot lose my salvation because it's not based on what I do. It's based on what Christ has done. Religion says do. Christ says done. (laughs) That's what he meant when he said it is finished. And so that is... The gospel, uh, the the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Uh, we also looked at the fact we're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless we, nevertheless, we live. And today, in our text, in Galatians three, this is really interesting. Paul begins to shift a little bit. This, we need to pay attention to this. Uh, chapter three is where he begins to comprehensively defend salvation by faith, justification by faith. And if we, if we have this lens to look at Galatians 3 uh, through, I think it's going to help us. I want you to think about Galatians chapter 3 as a courtroom scene. 
the gospel of grace is on trial. And Paul is acting as the defense attorney. He is defending the gospel of grace. And in order to do that, he is calling witnesses to the stand one by one in his continual argument. And the first witness that he calls to the stand is the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so the witness of the Spirit. Let's read the Word of God together this morning. We're going to read our text and come back and uh, glean some truths. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. He said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Receive you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you not made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for the gift of salvation that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that you accomplished salvation on our behalf to all those that repent and believe the gospel. Lord, it's not anything that we do. Uh, God, it's not works before, uh, during, after, it's just salvation by grace, and I'm so thankful for that. I pray if there's one lost today that's never been born again, that you would save them. Lord, if there's somebody today that maybe like these Galatian believers, they're genuinely saved, but uh, they're not enjoying it. They've been entangled uh, with the yoke of bondage, Lord, whether it be legalism, Lord, uh, whether it just be unwarranted fear and doubt. God, I pray that you would reassure them today, God, that we could leave here uh, knowing you better and having the joy and the fruit to reflect that. Empty me of sin and self and fill me your Holy Spirit as I preach the word. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. So we're looking at the thought and preaching on the thought this morning of the witness of the Spirit because that is the first witness that Paul calls to the stand in this defense of justification by faith, in the defense of of the gospel. He is once again trying to convince these Galatian believers that they've been bamboozled, they've been fooled. And so, what can we learn uh, from the testimony given by the witness of the Spirit? Now, it, it just stands to reason that Paul would do this because the Holy Spirit is mentioned 18 times in this six chapters of the book of Galatians. So, uh, Eighteen times he is mentioned. As I said, when you're reading the Bible and you see a word or a phrase used over and over and over again, you need to pay attention because that's very important. And wouldn't it just stand to reason uh, that the book in which the theme is Our Liberty in Christ focuses so much on the Holy Spirit of God? Uh, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so what can we learn from the testimony given by the witness of the Spirit? Well, the first thing I want you to know is the, about the salvation of the Spirit. Paul is appealing to the salvation through the Spirit. Look at verse 1. O foolish Galatians. Now, this word foolish doesn't mean they're dumb. If you look up the word in the Greek, it, it literally means a mental laziness. They have been taken advantage of because they've been mentally lazy. They have not taken the time to search these things out. They've not been like the Bereans that searched the Scriptures to see whether or not these things were true. 
And when it comes to the cults, this is the way that people get taken advantage of. They, look, listen, people don't join cults because they were greatly convinced of the deep doctrine and the history that supports their position and the logical reasoning and everything that comes from the truth of Scripture. That's not the case. They're taken because what is being taught feels good. It sounds good. They're not taken because of the great argumentation. In fact, they don't want to have those conversations. And so that's what it means. He's, he is getting on to them, not for being dumb. They have just been taken advantage of because they've been foolish. They've been lazy, intellectually lazy, and they've listened without investigating. Um, it says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Now, that word bewitched doesn't have anything to do with sorcery here. The word literally means to be charmed. Once again, to be fooled by something that looks attractive. But as we know, all that glitters is not gold. He said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Once again, he's reminding us of the cross of Jesus Christ, the only source of salvation. He, Paul is beside himself. He just cannot imagine that having been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, now they think uh, that God has given them the baton and now salvation is up to them the rest of the way. That it just, it's, just, it's insane to think this, but it happened. I, now, they didn't lose their salvation, but they had been fooled, and as a result, they, had been, they certainly lost the joy and the freedom in their salvation because now they're under a yoke and a standard that nobody has ever been able to bear. The entire weight of the law, 600 and some 18 laws, sins of omission, things that you're supposed to do and don't do, sins of commission, things that you're not supposed to do and you do it. Uh, the Bible says that even the thought of foolishness is sin. Uh, the book of Romans 13 tells us that whatsoever is done outside of the motive of faith is sin. You can do the right things for the wrong reason. It's still sin in the eyes of God. And for somebody who's never repented and put their faith in tri uh, Christ, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that even the plowing of the wicked is an abomination unto God. Now, plowing and planting your crops and working hard and feeding your family, are those not honorable things? God says, this is an abomination to me. Because you're doing that to eat, you're not doing that to glorify God. So God is, He's even interested down to the core of our motives and our heart, why we do things. And so um, He's reminding them of the cross again. But to get to this first point about salvation the Spirit, uh, He said, this only what I learned of you. Receive you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. He's presenting them a question. He is in this proverbial courtroom and He is placing an argument for salvation uh, by grace through faith. Now, Paul does something very unusual here. He does something very unusual, and I would say rather dangerous, if you want my opinion. But then again, it's inspired Scripture, and in this case, it's not dangerous. I'm going to tell you why. You say, what did he do, uh, Pastor Vaughn? Well, he, he's making an argument from human experience. He is appealing to human experience as an argument. That can be a dangerous thing to do. Um, but... but um, he is asking them if they were saved by the Spirit of God through the hearing of faith or by the works of the law. Now listen to this. He is appealing to their experience of salvation. And let me say this. All Christians should have a born-again experience. A supernatural resurrection into their life. And if, if not, 
I would really question my salvation. I'm not saying that uh, everything that happened for me has to happen the same way for you. You know, I'm not saying that you have to remember the exact second or the exact day or you have to have everything uh, written in your Bible. But you need, there has to be a time in your life where the Holy Spirit of God uh, spoke to your heart, revealed your sinfulness before a holy God and showed you your need for salvation. There has to be a time through the preaching of the gospel that the Holy Spirit of God drew you unto faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just a, a checkbox. It's not a list of creeds or do's and don'ts. It is being born again by the Spirit of God. It's more than just being baptized. It's more than just an admission of the facts of the gospel. It is Christ saving sinners and raising them from spiritual death unto spiritual life. He is appealing to the salvation experience of this, these Galatian believers. And uh, the reason, now this is really important to point this out. The reason that it's not dangerous for Paul to appeal to the Christian experience of salvation is because the Christian experience of salvation always begins with objective truth. The gospel through the word of God. There's nobody that can be saved outside of the gospel message that comes through the preached word. There's no other way to be saved. Now, that could come in different forms. Uh, I remember, I love uh, Pastor Stonehouse giving his testimony recently. And he said he was sitting in his living room floor and he was reading through the book of John. And he said, I can't really explain it, uh, but I was sitting down as a lost man and I stood up as a saved man. He was saved through the reading of the gospel of John, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, but it, but it must come through the Word of God. There's nothing arbitrary about it. It comes through the Word of God. So our experience, unlike other ones, begins from an objective truth. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. Subjective experience must be balanced with objective evidence because experiences can change, but truth never changes. So the Christian experience of salvation is completely different than, let's say, uh, Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. You know, the Buddha went out in the wilderness supposedly for years, meditating and fasting and praying. And a few years into it, he supposedly had this overwhelming vision and he got to a place of what he called nirvana where he was just released from all the things that had bound him. Uh, there's, no, there's no objective truth related to something like that. There's no way you could vet that. Um, it, it's totally a different experience than the burning of the bosom that so many people are encouraged to have. You cannot vet that. Um, I've had people come to this church and uh, Mormons, I've talked to them even after service, just you know, great friendly conversation. And I had one, one person specifically that I'm thinking of that told me that an angel came into her bedroom, sat on the bed with her, and told her, that Joseph Smith was a true prophet and the, Mormon, uh, the, the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. But there's a problem with it. How do you vet that? Because I've had Catholics tell me uh, very similar things about an angel, uh, an angelic encounter that said their faith was true. Muslims do that a lot. They have these weird encounters. You have three different experiences from three different supposed supernatural powers. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? You know why you can't vet it? Because none of it is geared to, none of it is anchored in absolute truth. You can't do that. Uh, even in my own 
salvation experience, I, I talk about the Word of God. This is important uh, as I go into a little bit of my testimony. But salvation by the Spirit of God always begins with the Word of God. If you think about the Word of God as being the tool, the Holy Spirit is the power that uses that tool. It ha- you have to have both. If you have the reading of the Word of God without the Spirit of God, then nothing happens. Uh, and so you have to have both. The Spirit works through the Word of God. And in my salvation, as I mentioned before, I was actually raised in the Church of Christ, and they, they teach a work salvation. Uh, you know, they, they would agree with so many things that we agree with, but man, they're just so wrong about the gospel. They, they believe and teach that uh, you have to be baptized in water, uh, baptismal regeneration, as some have called it, uh, but not only in a, a baptismal pool, but baptized into their church. Remember those groups that say that Jesus Christ is the only heaven, we're the only way to Jesus? Yet he baptized into the church of Christ, and I did that. I, I grew up in that. But nothing changed about my life, and I remember thinking, even at, even at the age of, uh, I believe I, was, I had just turned 14, I remember thinking to myself, is this all there is to being saved? Is this all there is to being a Christian? Because nothing changed. My mouth didn't change. I had a filthy mouth at 14. My heart didn't change. The things I were listening to and watching didn't change. The people that I was hanging out with didn't change. But I remember about six months later when a friend invited me to church and I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. And for the first time, I can honestly say the first time I heard the gospel, the Lord saved me. It was the last Sunday of June in 1999 when I heard the gospel. I was under such conviction. It was so much bigger than a preacher or words from a page. It was the Holy Spirit of God regenerating my heart and showing me my lostness before a holy God and showing me that nothing that I had ever done had made me right with God. That nothing I had ever done had earned salvation or earned brownie points with God. And I did. I was miserable. I left there because I was just so... I was, I was honestly scared, really. It was like a wonderfully awful experience. And I remember that week because uh, we're getting close to the 4th of July and we had a family reunion about an hour away in Mississippi. And I remember as a 14-year-old, now who th- what 14-year-old thinks about these things? And I remember we were driving to Mississippi and I remember sitting in the back seat of the car and I, I said a prayer under my breath and I said, Lord, if you'll just let me get back to that church, I'll, gi- I'll give my life to you. I, I was just so dumb. I, I didn't realize you didn't have to be in church for God to save you. I believe God saved me right there in that car. And, um, man, it's just the work of the Spirit of God within us. And this is what Paul is appealing to. And so uh, I've only got two points this morning. Uh, we, know, we, we know very well not to really get excited about that. Sometimes I think it's worse. I feel like I have to get more out of the points that I've got. As I've said before, there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. So I, I try to walk it. But So I just want you, we're talking about the, the salvation of the Spirit. Paul is appealing to this salvation experience um, for these Galatian believers. And there's a few things I want you to know about the work of the Spirit in salvation. And the first sub-point here is I want you to know the Spirit regenerates and draws us to faith in Christ through the gospel, I've said that. And there's plenty of verbiage in the Bible to prove this. Um, you don't have, we're not going to take the time to flip to all these, but I would encourage you to jot them down and look at them in your own time. 
But John chapter 3 and verse 3, uh, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus who was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. If anybody could have been saved by their works, it was Nicodemus. And yet he said unto him, Jesus said unto Nicodemus, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that term born again, it literally means born from above. And he's talking about the spiritual birth. If you go back and read uh, John chapter 3, John chapter 3, probably more than any other chapter, is focused on the work of the Spirit in salvation, drawing believers, uh, regenerating their heart. And so think about being born again in, in several different synonymous words used in the Bible. Uh, first of all, I would say before we look at those, when, when Jesus makes the statement... You must be born again. I want to caution you because I've heard several preachers, I've probably even said it myself at some point in time, but they preach on you must be born again as if it is a command. It's not a command, folks. It's a statement of fact. Because what can you do to cause yourself to be born again? What can you do to raise yourself from spiritual death to spiritual life. What can you do to cause yourself to be born from above? You can't. And Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 3 and verse 5, He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now let me stop right here and say, that is one of the most misinterpreted verses in all the Bible. When it says you must be born of water and of the Spirit... It is not talking about water baptism. You cannot find baptism anywhere in that section of John, much less uh, in this chapter. It's just not there. He's not talking about baptism. If you read it in the context, line upon line, in the way that it's supposed to be interpreted, uh, the, the water is speaking of the first birth, the fleshly birth. In fact, in the next verse he says, For that which is born of flesh is flesh, the first birth, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And so when he's talking about water, he is literally talking about what happens when somebody is born. When a woman's water breaks, a person comes into the world, the first birth, the fleshly birth, born of water. And what he's saying is, when he says you must be born of water and of the spirit, what he's saying is there is nothing that you can do within this fleshly body there is nothing that you can do within the first or the fleshly birth to save yourself. You must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Christ goes on to talk about this in further detail in John chapter 3, how the Spirit bloweth where He listeth. He goes where He wants to. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so that is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, the spiritual birth that we read about in John chapter 3, it is synonymous with the quickening of the Spirit, in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, the word quicken means to make alive, to take that which is dead and make it alive. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Um, it's the, same, the, the spiritual birth is also the same as the drawing in John six forty four. Jesus said, No man can come to me, except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. No man can come to me unless I draw him, unless the Spirit regenerate, unless the Spirit draw him, unless they be born again. It's not something we can do. 
It's, the, it's also the spiritual birth is also the same as the holy calling mentioned in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9, where it says, Who hath saved us, talking about Christ, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, uh, Paul actually mentions this same call, calling when speaking of himself, even in the book that we're in. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. And so that is the same thing that we've been seeing about uh, the second spiritual birth uh, and this holy calling and the quickening in Ephesians 2. And we see this over and over and over again, the Spirit's work in salvation and drawing us uh, <clears throat> to faith in Christ. But kind of wrapping all that up and pulling it back down to Paul's argument in Galatians chapter 3, uh, Paul is appealing to this born-again experience in the life of the Galatian believers versus the works of the law. The literal argument that he is making is that they could never do the work of the Spirit of God in the efforts of their flesh. You can't save yourself in the efforts of your flesh, and you cannot keep yourself saved by the works of the law. And so that's the argument he's making. You literally cannot do what you're trying to do right now. You want to really get frustrated in life. You try to continually do the things that you cannot do. I learned a long time ago that two of the most liberating words that you will ever speak is the words, I can't. I can't. People have pride so much they can't do that. And that's not just in the area of salvation. When you realize that, and you realize that this life is all about dependency upon Him, things begin to pick up after that. And we continue to lie to ourselves and say that we can when we can't. Uh, I remember when I was working at the big textile plant there in Tuscaloosa. I wasn't very far to high school, and the first thing I had to do is, is run the line, the, these big machines uh, they call them looms, and they, they actually make the same material that our window screen's made out of. These, they're about the size of a minivan. They're huge, and they, they weave that pattern together, and I had to run about 12 of them. And whenever a machine would go down, most of the time it was something simple. You just fix it, start it back up, and, and go on with it. But there comes a realm of fixing things that was not in my job description. It was in the mechanic's job description. And what I was supposed to do when something like that happened is I was supposed to go write the problem on the board and turn on the red light so the mechanic could see it from across the plant. And what I did is I had so much pride, I said, you know, I, I don't need him. I, I can do it myself. I can get it running. And most of the time I could fix it. A lot of times I couldn't. Sometimes I could. But even when I did fix the problem and I got that machine running, I would look up and I'd have 11 other machines that were down. And it's, it stressed me out so badly. And you know what I learned? I just, what am I doing, stupid? Walk over there, get the marker, write it down and flick it and walk away. Let him deal with it. Let him deal with it. And guess what? If it breaks, it's on him, it ain't on me. When it comes to salvation, people would be a whole lot better off if they just said, you know what, I can't. I'm a sinner. I'm wicked. My thoughts are not right. My actions are not right. 
I'm not, I'm not doing the best I can. I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes of my life to get me to heaven. That's when we need to fall at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I can't, but you can, you did, and you will. That's what we need to do. That's what Paul was warning against when he talked about being entangled with the yoke of bondage again. And so the, the Spirit of God regenerates us and He draws us to salvation. And the argument is that we could never do that work in our flesh. It has to be by the Spirit of God. Uh, but, but the second thing the Spirit of God does, uh, uh, talking about what He does as far as our salvation is concerned, the Spirit of God places us within the body of Christ. We find in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by one Spirit are we all baptized into the body of Christ. Now, talking about yokes that get added to salvation, uh, there is a large group of charismatics out there that come in different titles and different flavors, but many of them teach that uh, even after you're saved, you have to have a second work of grace. That you have to be baptized. Yeah, you may be saved, but you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And some of them take it so far as to say that you have to evidence that baptism of the Holy Spirit by speaking in tongues or falling out or doing all kind of crazy stuff. And that is adding things to grace. That is, you, won't find, you won't find those things anywhere in Scripture. And so I, this is not talking about that. We actually talked about that the other night in our Knowing God Bible study, so I won't do that here. Uh, but what I want you to know about this is we are never commanded, not one time, not one time are we ever commanded to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? We're never commanded to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit does that the moment that a person is saved. The moment that a person is saved, we're baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, as I just said. And so understand that. Now, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't want to stay here very long because I believe we'll be able to get on this in chapter 5. But what, is, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I want, to, I want to tell you that there's actually nothing we can do to be filled with the Spirit either. We, it's not something we can do. I can't just go to the refrigerator and get the, get the jug of Holy Spirit and, and I, I can't do that. Some days I feel like it would be nice if we could do that. We can't. But So you're saying that He commands us to do something we can't do. Yeah, He does it a lot. He did, he did it with the law. He did it with believing. He did it with repenting. It's something He commands us to do. But it's something He performs. But I will say this, and I thought Derek, he brought this out so well uh, several weeks ago in Sunday school that I knew eventually I would get to use this example. But he talked about at least our part in being filled by the Holy Spirit is like uh, going into a bakery. He talked about bakery, and he was talking about cinnamon rolls, and he was talking about desserts, and uh, I think we ought to go. Let's all pray. Amen. I, I know. But, I mean, he was describing it, and, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm, just, I'm salivating. Like, I mean, it was just, I wanted it. You know, he, the way he was describing it. And, you know, the way the Lord works, uh, Dan Fry brought us cinnamon rolls that day to Sunday, uh, after Sunday school. It was wonderful. I prayed. I said, Lord, grant it, and it happened, you know. <laughs> Probably the quickest prayer I've ever had answered. But um, you ever been inside a bakery? I always associate that with the smells. Oh, it just smells so good. I mean, if it was a cologne, you'd, I'd probably wear it, you know. <laughs> Doesn't it just smell so good? I mean, y'all are thinking about it even as I'm talking about it. 
And you know, when you walk inside a bakery, you're not technically doing anything, are you? Just enjoying things, right? Just, just taking it all, just enjoying it. But guess what? When you walk out of that bakery, you smell like that bakery, don't you? That's like what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The only thing that we really need to do is to be diligent to place ourselves in an environment where God is moving in our life. Reading the Word of God. Having private devotion time with God every day. Praying to the Lord. Being faithful to the house of God and being under the preaching of the Word and, and filling our minds and our hearts with, with spiritual songs and sermons and, uh, and making melody and, and having joy in our heart. That's really the only thing we do and God does everything else. And so I thought that was a great example. So yes, we are commanded to be filled, but not, not baptized. God does that upon salvation. Um, thirdly, as far as the work of the Spirit of God in our salvation, the Spirit of God gives us assurance of our salvation. Now, this is another key point that Paul is making in his argument to the Galatian believers. And I would say this too, and it kind of piggybacks off what I just said. Romans 8 and verse 9 makes it clear that without the Spirit of God, we don't belong to Him. There's no such thing, no matter what the charismatics say, there is no such thing as a saved person without the Spirit of God. And there's nobody that has the Spirit of God indwelling them that's not saved. Those two things uh, cannot coexist. If you have the Spirit of God, you're saved. Now, uh, the point that Paul is making by bringing this up, again, did we cause ourselves to be saved by our good works? We can't keep ourselves saved or earn our salvation by our good works. And if you're saved and you become entangled with the yoke of bondage of guilt and shame, let me say, stop trying so hard and start trusting Christ in His finished work. Stop trying, start trusting. That's good advice for lost or saved. And so Paul's argument here is, were you saved by the Spirit of God or were you saved by the works of the law? And the obvious answer is, God saved us. We, weren't, we didn't go looking for Him. When I walked in Inglewood Baptist Church in June of 99, I wasn't looking for Him. I was, I was looking to hang out with the youth group. I was looking for girls. I wanted to be there with my friends. I wasn't looking for God, but He had set me up. and He sure did come looking for me. Number two this morning, we've talked about Paul's argument of salvation by the Spirit of God. But I want to talk about the sanctification of the Spirit of God for just a little bit, and we'll be done. Look at verse 3. Another question he asked in this line of argumentation. He said, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? <clears throat> Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? So this has to do with the sanctification of the Spirit of God. Now, I think it's important to point this out, and I also think it's why Paul pointed this out. There's many people that hear the term, saved by grace through faith alone, and they automatically think that it gives Christians a license to sin. Uh, you know, having done a fair amount of street preaching and, and open-air evangelism, things like that, and, and having those things posted on YouTube... Uh, I've been put in contact with a lot of people that I, I never would have met otherwise. And there's a lot of people in that kind of crowd that does not believe 
in salvation by grace through faith. It's all about what you do. And uh, I just happen to be, because of that connection, I have some friends on Facebook and I, I know some people like that. And they will flat out tell you that salvation by grace through faith is a false gospel. It gives people a license to sin where they can do whatever they want to do that they're not hearing it right. They've got the wrong lens. And they think that if they don't fear damnation, if they don't fear hell, if they don't fear the wrath of God, there's no way they'd ever serve God. But I'm going to tell you why that that thinking is twisted. Let me just ask it to you like this. Do you think it's a noble thing for people to serve God just so they can stay out of hell? Of course it's not. Do you believe it's a noble thing to serve God just so you can go to heaven? Do you think it's a noble thing to serve God just because God might pour out blessings and you'll have material wealth and health and the things that you want? Of course it's not. All those are false gospels. But I tell you what's not a false gospel. It's when God has saved you from your sin, when He's changed your heart, when He's taken out that heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh, and He's brought you from spiritual death unto spiritual life, and He's put a love of God in your heart, and He's put a desire in your heart to serve Him, and you serve Him, not because you're afraid of going to hell, but because you're grateful that you're not going to hell. Because you're grateful that you are saved, not because you're trying to be saved and earn the favor of God. We serve God. We we should serve God out of a grateful heart of His great salvation and of an absolute awe and an absolute worship of who He is and not just what He can do. That's what the true gospel does for somebody. If somebody tries to control somebody else, If a a so-called church group or organization tries to control people through manipulation and fear tactics, it's a cult. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. And so when we look at sanctification by the Spirit, this is what Paul is talking about. This is the next line in his argumentation. And so uh, we can actually find sanctification. We can't find the word, but we can certainly find the implication here. When Paul uses that term in verse 3 and he says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? That term made perfect speaks of sanctification. And the reason that people have such a hard time accepting salvation through grace, by grace through faith, is because, uh, as I mentioned, they think it leads to a loose lifestyle. They think it leads to a life of sin. But he says, no, 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 you're now made perfect by the Spirit. And the argument he's making, you got saved by the Spirit, not by the works of the law, and you're kept saved, you're made perfect by the Spirit and not by the works of the law. You see, Christ doesn't come, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to indwell us and leave us the same way. And so a lot of the cults, a lot of the false belief systems, they they conflate justification and sanctification. They can't understand the difference between those two. Justification, as we saw last week, is when God declares us to be legally righteous before Him. It's where God declares us to be righteous. Sanctification means to be set apart. And whereas justification declares us to be righteous, sanctification is the process by which God actually makes us righteous. And so, a lot of people are weird when I say that, but let me explain. 
There's three types of sanctification in Scripture. This is so important that you get this. I've mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll say this again. The three types of sanctification are positional, progressional, and perfect sanctification. Positional sanctification, just like the baptism of the Spirit. Positional sanctification takes place the moment that we're saved. And throughout our lives, uh, this position never changes. I was uh, sanctified on the day that I got saved, and I've been sanctified positionally ever since. And a great example of this principle is found in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. I, I love this text. It says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. And such were some of you. Past tense. Such were some of you. But you are washed. Present. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There's a Spirit again. And so we see this positional sanctification. We're positionally saved. And uh, one reason I love this text in 1 Corinthians 6 so much, I actually know preachers who would tell you there's certain people that cannot be saved. They have somehow sinned away their day of grace that they, they can't, there's something, they've just gone so far, they can't be saved by the grace of God. Uh, most specifically, they mention homosexuality. Well, they, they just, they've been given over to a reprobate mind. They can't be saved, but, but this flies in the face of that. Such were some of you, but you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. So we see positional sanctification. But then there's progressional sanctification or progressive sanctification. And this is specifically, I believe, the one that uh, Paul is mentioning and referencing uh, along with the others. But uh, this is the lifelong process by which the Spirit of God makes us more like Christ. If you've been saved for any length of time, you ought to be different than the day that you got saved. I mean, I realize there's things that change definitely the day that you were saved, the day that you were born again. But since then, has there not been a process by which God changes you? And by the way, usually those changes come through trials, you know? I mean, if the spiritual life, spiritually speaking, if was just laying in the lazy boy eating Cheetos and drinking Pepsi, we wouldn't do much growing, would we? Well, I, I mean, I guess we might go this way. We're talking about physical things, but, but we're not growing very much. We're not strengthening in our walk. We're not growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think I mentioned this a few months ago, but it's just so great. Uh, somebody that understands this principle had posted on Facebook, and they had made a meme out of two different pictures. And the top pictures were somebody having a picnic. It was a beautiful day, and the sun was shining, and the leaves were falling, and, I mean, everything was just so great. And that said uh, justification. And the picture below it was somebody looked like they had just been beat up by about ten people. They had... Uh, blue eyes and busted nose and a swollen lip and their clothes were torn and muddy and that picture said sanctification. <laughs> because it's true. It's absolutely true. I believe the clearest verse in the Bible that shines a light on this truth is Philippians 1 and verse 6. It says, but Paul said, being confident of this very thing, 
that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I would say this. um, I, I do believe in the eternal security of the believer. We cannot lose our salvation. Christ saves us to the uttermost. But I believe if there is one uh, difference between believing in what is commonly known as a once saved, always saved, and the biblical account, what I would call the perseverance of the saints, is that a once saved, always saved, as I said, is not a license to sin. It's not just so you pray to prayer, you believe the facts of the gospel, you know, Jesus paid for our sin, let's get our money's worth. That's not it. But this doctrine teaches that when God saves a person, that He will continue to work on them. He would continue to sanctify them until uh, their death or until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Does it mean we can mess up? You better believe it. But what it does mean, we're going in a different direction. We may slip and fall, but we're going the opposite way that we used to go. Not by our power, but by the Spirit of God. And that's exactly the point Paul is making. But then the, the third sanctification, perfect sanctification... This is when we get our sinless, glorified bodies in heaven. Never to sin again, we will be perfectly sanctified. That's one of the glories of heaven. 1 John 3 and verse 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. So we're saved now. We're the sons of God now. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, we have no clue what it's going to be like when we get there. And then it says, But we know when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. That being translated, we ain't like him. Not right now, not like we should be. But we will be one day. And I sure am looking. No, no more temptation. No more battles. No more struggle. No more, uh, no more suffering. No more sickness. It's, we're going to live forever in the presence of God. Isn't that going to be wonderful? Amen. The Spirit of God that saves us will lead us safely all the way home. And Paul is reminding these Galatian believers that they couldn't save themselves by the works of the law. They can't keep themselves saved by the works of the flesh. Salvation and sanctification are works of the Spirit through the gospel of grace. And as we close this morning, I'm going to say, if you're not saved today, call out to God, cry out to God. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I can't save myself. I repent of my dead works. I repent of my sin. And I trust Christ and His finished work on the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talked about how He wore our sin in His body on the tree, and God the Father unleashed His wrath upon Him, the wrath we deserve for that sin. He paid our sin debt, and He rose from the dead three days later, and He is the only sacrifice that can please and satisfy the wrath of God. Cry out to God. Get alone with God. Cry out to God. Lord, save me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. But then secondly, if you are saved and you're entangled with the yoke of fear and bondage and guilt, stop it. Stop it. Stop beating yourself up over things that Christ was already beaten for. As I say many times, what you're saying is the cross is not enough, but it is. It's not a Christian virtue to continue to rake yourself over the coals. It's not spiritual. It's not. We don't have to do that. Uh, You know, there are certain cultures and certain countries where they think they have to inflict physical pain 
on themselves to please, uh, appease whatever deity they believe in. The, some of the Hindus, every year, they will literally hang themselves by strings with hooks on the end of them. They will hang their body. They will stick them through their flesh or their skin and hang there for hours to make penance for things that they've done. There's actually a group of radical Catholics in Mexico every year uh, they'll crawl across the desert. I think it's about 12 miles. They will crawl across the desert on their hands and knees to this Catholic cathedral. And it's supposed to somehow make them more right. I'm talking about getting there with bloody knees and bloody hands. And guess what? They're no more right with God than when they started. You don't have to do that physically. You don't have to do that spiritually. You don't have to do that emotionally. All you have to do is say, Lord, forgive me. Be merciful to me, sinner. And even as, a, even as a saved person, we can mess up. But we can sin. You know what you do? Confess, confess it to the Lord. First John 1 John 1.9, confess it, and He promised to cleanse and forgive it. That's it. You don't have to beat yourself up. Say, Lord, help me do better next time, and go on with it. Rest in the salvation of Christ. Enjoy the salvation of Christ. Have peace in the salvation of Christ. If you're entangled with the yoke of bondage, stop. Stop trying and start trusting. Trust that Christ has saved you, that He is saving you, and that He will ultimately save you. That's our hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Can we sing that? Let's stand as she comes. Heavenly Father.